This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right. Happy Thursday, everybody. Getting through the week. Bam, 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 bam. Hope you're doing well. Taking care of yourselves. As always, prioritize your mental health. I know it's invisible. I know you can't see it. I know a lot of people don't take it seriously, but we got to. Uh, it's one of those things. I've shared some of my mental health struggles. You know, I'm I'm definitely neuro atypical, um, very creative and diverse mentally, and it's hard for some people to take it seriously. It comes up a lot with for me with flying. I, I have certain flying restrictions or needs, I should say. And if someone is flying me into lecture or to film something, they have to kind of meet the requirements. Otherwise, my butt doesn't get on the airplane. You know, it's a disabilities issue, and if they can't meet the needs, then. God bless them. Ableism run amok, but we have to be able to get our needs met. So again, no, most people won't support it, but you got to ask for it and just say, you know, I have a mental disability. These are my mental health needs or my mental health boundaries and healthy people will accommodate that. Um, so anyway, question of the night as always is up on our Loveline IG page, uh, in the stories. So in on that bad boy, still some time for tonight's and, uh, DMS will be coming up and later in the show, we'll be talking about bump it a bum, all sorts of good stuff. You know what I'm talking about? but especially the myth of multitasking. Uh, I want to start that off with an article. Love this uh, headline. I wanted to meet a mate and have a baby without wasting time. Bum bum, the rise of platonic co-parenting. I love it. Why not have a baby with your best friend? Oh, love that stuff. All sorts of ways of forming families. Two moms, two dads. Sometimes it's two dads and a mom. Sometimes it's two couples co-raising, community-based. I'm aware of two sisters that decided to raise a baby together. I love this. A female and a male friend. Totally platonic. What babies need? Caregivers. That's all they need. Love. They don't need a dad. They don't need a mom. They can have one mom, one dad, two dads, two moms. They just need a caregiver. And even studies show gay couples do better, their children do better on marks of empathy. They have higher levels of empathy, better communication skills, more acceptance of diversity, a lot of really positive things. So all these diverse families uh, really benefit the children. They just need love and care. That's all they need. Um, But I love that. Hey, if you're ready to have a child and you are single or maybe want to stay single, which yes, people do, then maybe uh, talk to your best friend. Maybe a friend will be willing to have a child with you. I know, actually, I know a couple couples. Um, I'm also aware of couples where one partner is a gay male and the other is a lesbian, you know, gay female and they co-parent as well. And it's stunning, you know, the stunning, stunning, stunning. Also a new study came out saying half of all singles, wait for it, half don't want a relationship or a date. 
they're like, we're good. Many singles like being single and have more important priorities than coupling. And that's, that's kind of what's part of hookup cultures. People are realizing I no longer need to be in a relationship to have sex. I can get my sexual needs met with a friend with benefits or just going on casual dates. That's awesome. And they can focus their time and energy on whatever they want. Not everyone has to be moving from single dumb to relationship. And I think part of it's also a lot of people run their relationships very toxically and people are just burnt out and they're like, I don't want to do it. You know, marriage has such a big failure rate. It's not working for people. Again, it's mainly the way they're running it, which is why I wrote my books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines, as a way to give new versions of what could be a more sustainable relationship. But nonetheless, people want to stay single and I fully support that. Not everyone has to want to be in a relationship. But the findings were based on a national survey sampling of over 5,000 adults in the U.S. Not bad. Pretty good number population. Uh, showed that half of single people are not interested in a committed romantic relationship. Some are not even interested in a date. You know what I mean? And another 10% want nothing but casual dates. They're like, yeah, just casual only. But I get that. And that really, really bursts through a lot of stereotypes because people assume that everyone who's single is sad, miserable, lonely, or even bigger than that, which is so gross, is this idea that there's something wrong with them. Something wrong with them because they want to just focus on, I don't know, friendships and, and other attributes, career, hobbies, time with family, taking time away from dating, or like I said, just doing something more casual. Also, the younger generations are doing things more non-monogamously. They're more open. They're doing throuples. We expect to see tons more of that coming. They're very creative. We call them designer relationships, and they're choosing for themselves what makes sense and what's going to work. I'm here for it. You know, I think it's really great. Um, also, looking at a new study done on women who watch porn. Yeah, that's right. Women are a huge group who do watch porn, which shocks some people. Um, basically... It's busting the narrative that men are the only ones obsessed with porn. I thought we knew that. We talk about that a lot. But wait for this. Women are normal consumers of pornography. And research shows that women who watch porn tend to be younger and better educated than females that don't watch porn. So again, the females that do watch porn tend to be younger and more educated, which makes sense. They have less shame around their sexuality, more female empowerment. They're willing to go after, you know, exploring their sexuality. They have no problem. Because I also hate the ideas like women, men are more visual, women are, no, it's not true. That is just sexist socialization. Women are everything, men are everything. Those are just stereotypes. Um, but also women that watch porn have more open attitudes about sex in general, uh, more ability to climax with a partner. Uh, and this is stunning. I mean, porn is something that I prescribe for many clients. I always tell them though, the caveat, watch body positive, more feminist based porn. And that will be porn that has diverse genders, races, bodies, the kinds of bodies that real people have, you know, and they show aftercare or after orgasm and sex, they are touching and, and cuddling and spending time together. They also show more foreplay where they're kissing and it's more sensual. It's not just penetration, orgasm, bam, we're done. And uh, more, it's healthier for our psyches uh, in terms of, um, you know, self-worth seeing, you know, more diversity reflected back to us. So anywho, we'll be right back with Dr. Milo Dodson to talk more about managing election results. All right, now we're going to go to our first guest, Dr. Milo Dodson. Uh, welcome back to the show. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Thank you for having me as always. Always a pleasure to see you. I want to start by just throwing some stats out there. 78% of people right now have stress about the future, generalized anxiety, a lot going on. 68% have stress right now based on our political climate. So a lot of intersecting things happening right now. So what do we want to think about when we're trying to accept and manage uh, basically the outcome of the election? Well, above anything and everything else, I really want folks to feel validated and encouraged of having a full range of emotions. I think I saw a meme recently that said, we're in the United States of anxiety for the USA there. And it's so real because whatever our political affiliation or however we voted, there's a lot of angst and uncertainty in terms of the rest of 2020 and the next four years. So I really just want folks to be validated and encouraged around however they're feeling, even if that's excitement or anger. I love that. Beautifully said. We don't want people kind of stuffing how they're feeling, express it. And also, you know, I think there's some things that occur and you can lovingly, you know, sometimes patronizingly say things like, it'll be okay, we'll get through this. But I think there's some periods where you can't necessarily say that because maybe things aren't going to be okay. No, and, and that's the thing, because we want to be able to be kind and we want to be able to encourage folks but to be kind and encouraging is actually encouraging folks to feel how they're feeling in that moment. So if they're angry, then really validating, you know what, it's okay that you're angry right now. If you're sad, it's okay that you're sad right now. And not try to make it be more about a future emotion, but really normalize how they're feeling in the present in that moment. And also just, you know, we, we in our culture will shame certain emotions. So I love your sense of this validation. But also, how about the mobilizing and empowering force that anger can be? Talk to that uh, a little bit. That anger can sometimes, you know, make us feel empowered and drive us forward. Yeah, because the reality is anger can be a, a motivating factor. I mean, a lot of times I think about anger kind of being the bodyguard of sadness. So we want to really, really dig into what's behind that anger. But at the same time, there's a lot of validity because for a lot of folks, especially in marginalized communities, we have a lot to be angry about. And that's okay. We want to make sure that we're using that anger to serve ourselves and, and use it as a motivating factor, like I said. Yeah, because regardless of, of how the election went and, and whether or not the candidate that you wanted was elected, I also want to remind people, still take action. There's still so much change that needs to happen. And the president that you wanted maybe not winning doesn't mean that we should stop pushing forward to the changes that need to be made. No, and, and that's exactly it. Because, And I'm, I'm glad you're actually saying taking action because I, I like to use the acronym of ACT. So you have A for awareness and acknowledgement in terms of how we're feeling. We have C for compassion and connect, making sure that we're being kind to ourselves and in our connections to others. And honestly, T just stands for treat yourself. So whether that's ice cream for me or in a, real, in a very real sense, um, T can also stand for therapy. So in all seriousness, a lot of folks, because we may feel sad about how the election turned out, uh, we want to have that professional support. So in addition to treating yourself, you can treat yourself and make that phone call to start therapy. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. So for those that saw their candidate lose, those of us that were hoping for Biden to win, to create the change we needed, Kamala Harris, phenomenal. Um, what do you say to those that are feeling um, hopeless and helpless? Well, I, I really just want to validate that feeling of hopelessness because I know for a lot of us, myself included, we were rooting for the change that they had been advocating for. How beautiful would it have been to have the first African-American woman vice president in the Oval? 
Um, but the reality is we can still be the leaders of change that we want in our communities and we can still fight for uh, love and we can still fight for change. Whoever's in the Oval, whoever's in the White House, whatever the administration is looking like, we can still be the leaders in our communities. And now looking at the election results and seeing that Biden and Kamala Harris did win, uh, what do we do other than get out there and celebrate feeling that we're validated, change is coming? Uh, what do we need to make of that? All the ice cream, all the glory. <laughs> My goodness, it's exciting. It's exciting. So to be honest, I think just like any other big celebratory moment in our lives, we want to really revel in it. We really want to embrace it. And we then want to be able to get to work. Just because they won the election, it doesn't mean that that's the alpha, the omega. It doesn't mean that's the end all be all. There's a lot of work ahead and we have to come together just like we came together to unite to vote for change. And the real work starts now. Thank you so much, Milo Dodson. Coming up next, we'll be sliding into those DMs. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Chris, my name is also Chris, and I'm writing in for my cousin Jessica. She's been with this guy for like two years, and I'm trying to tell her that he's gay because I'm gay, <laughs> and I know he is. All right, there's the problem already, but we'll come back to that. I've seen him out at bars before. He pretends he doesn't know me, and actually some of his friends know my friends. I've tried to talk to him before, but all he says is that Jessica makes him happy, which is great, because I know that he makes Jessica happy too, but I'm just worried. Jessica says he has denied going to gay clubs, but I know he has. Should I just let all my feelings go and let them be, or should I keep trying to get him to tell the truth? You should mind your business, truly. Um, you told her what you know, which is fair. You have more loyalty to your cousin than some random dude, right? So you should always share your loyalty. But I don't agree with your assessment. You know, someone hanging out at gay bars doesn't make them gay. It means he's a confident person. Um, it's also possible that he's bi. Maybe he's sexually fluid. Um, and maybe Jessica's an outlier. Uh, you can't make a determination about someone's sexual orientation by seeing them at a gay bar. You also can't make a determination about sexual, someone's sexual orientation because they might have prior have dated or been met with, been with a man. Uh, people's sexuality is allowed to grow and change and people that are sexually fluid or bisexual or pansexual, you can then never know about them by the gender they're with because they're into multiple genders and if they're monogamous you'll only ever see them with one same gender which would make them gay but they still are open to straight and if they're a straight person that doesn't mean that they're not possibly going to be you know same gender after that so you know again i want everyone to be comfortable going to whatever bar they want to go to and so his presence there doesn't mean anything to me but no i don't think you should all try to force someone into an orientation that you've decided they are um jessica's an adult and if it makes sense to them it makes sense to them you know what I mean? And also, if he is gay, some people are in mixed orientation relationships um, where they're with someone who's the opposite for whatever reason that works for them. There's a whole psychology of that. That's for another day. But, you know, again, let Jessica be happy. You told her. She talked to him. He denied it. We move on with our lives. And if he comes out as gay later, then he'll come out as gay later and him and Jessica will decide what to do. All relationships are a risk. Even when you get married, marriages end. All relationships have the possibility of ending for different reasons, you know, and that's okay. And she'll be okay. You know, it's a disappointment at times, but no one's died from a breakup. We, it's okay. It feels horrible, but we survive. So you shared your piece. 
let it go now. Don't make her feel bad for being with someone she's with. Um, I don't know why it's handled gay bars other than the fact that they're really fun and play great music. And some people don't like straight bars because there's a lot of sexism and gender roles and not everyone feels safe. And sometimes it's just about people trying to chase the opposite gender and others just want to go dance and have fun. And gay bars are a really safe space for a lot of people to get away from toxic masculinity and all that other crap. So I support him going there. Um, so let, let Jessica just be happy. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I say this lovingly and I'm glad you're looking out for it, but it can be patronizing to think you know better for someone, period. You know, if you're in a safe relationship, you can share your thoughts, but if they say we're good, then it's time to let go, you know? And I want this other person um, to live his life in the way that makes sense to him. So it's kind of how it goes. But I appreciate people wanting to look out for their loved ones. I mean, that's always a good sign. But um, people's sexual orientation is far bigger than just what we see them with or where we see them, you know? Again, just because they're with a certain gender sexually or relationally doesn't mean that that's where it ends. Sometimes for people, there's more to it and it's bigger than that, you know? Oh, bisexuality and pansexuality confuses people, I know. It's amazing what we'll accept. <laughs> we'll accept some really heinous things that are possible in our world, but somehow bisexuality is like too far, just too far. <laughs> but a lot of that's actually rooted in homophobia, you know? Anywho, uh, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. That's in the Loveline pages stories. It's always up, so check that out. And uh, Loveline, you can check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Coming up next, though, we're going to be talking about multitasking. Ah, the myth of multitasking. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. And now we're going to go to our next guest, Jay Rodriguez, uh, original Queer Eye, star of Rent, former host of The Morning Beat on uh, Channel Q, and a various, various list of other accomplishments. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's been a minute. I've gotten a haircut since the last time we've chatted. You also somehow look younger than last time we chatted. You're aging backwards. I did. I I revisited my angel costume in Rent, so that required shaving on Saturday. So, um, you know, just kind of went live as that character was kind of fun. But I, yeah. Now I'm living with the, the face of a toddler, and it's not great. Uh, well, it'll, it'll get you some dates, just maybe not the kind you want. <laughs> now, uh, congratulations, HBO Max equal. Uh, let's tell us about the show and the role that you're playing on it. Yes, yeah, so it's a four-part miniseries on HBO Max, which, by the way, if people who don't have that can uh, can download the, um, the app for free for a week for a trial. So go ahead and just do that so you can watch it. Um, and it's basically a, um, a almost like a documentary, but with reenactments of actual... Um, people who are are actors that we know and recognize who are trailblazers in their own right in the community. But this goes back to even the late 50s and 1960s. Um, I know we talk a lot about Stonewall as being sort of the beginning of the LGBTQ rights, civil rights movement, but it really spanned uh, a much uh, earlier. Um, and so this, this series kind of highlights th- those unsung heroes. And uh, these stories are told many times in their own words. It's actually their audio. Uh, many of us play uh, them. I play Jose Saria, who is um, the first out gay uh, uh, person to run for office, did not get elected, but um, used his platform as a cabaret star and drag entertainer in San Francisco to not only ignite um, his audiences to get more politically engaged, but also kind of read them here and there. Um, he, he really didn't have any sense of like um, duality when it came to performer and you know being civic minded. He, he merged them all into one, which is a beautiful thing at the time because 
and, and bold and progressive because it was actually illegal to dress in drag yes. in 1960. You must have always had two articles of men's clothing on at all times. And not everyone and so, knows that. People were literally right. rounded up and thrown in jail for dressing up in drag, yeah. But Jose was so clever. He made them wear, um, like when the police would come rain the bar, raid the bars, he would have these name tags and he'd make them wear them around his neck saying, I'm a boy, because they were uh, being arrested for allegedly impersonation you know, of like another gender. So he's like, you're not, you're not fooling anyone. I have the sign here. Um, they found ways around it, but he would end every one of their sessions, every one of the, their evenings with God Save Us Nelly Queens, which I get to sing in the, in the show. And when people from that era talk about it now, which there's a lot of that footage in this, it brings tears to their eyes and they all remember it in such a profound way. And I think what this show does, Equal and HBO Max, it gives us a greater sense of pride that the work that we're seeing done now stems back decades and decades of people. And if you see the show, the show is so timely. There's a lot of the same cries, the same pleas, the same fight song is a lot of the same language that we're seeing uh, here today on the streets and for people crying out for justice. We'll be right back to talk more with Jay Rodriguez about his new show and visibility. Welcome back to the show, Jay. So is it heartwarming to hearken back and see how far we've come? Or is it the opposite where you're saying, wow, we're still fighting for some of the same things? Um, well, I'm excited for you to see that. I think there's a bunch of people that will even inspire you and, and the work that you do. Mm. Um, because I know for me, uh, you know, it's inspiring in the sense that I'm excited for a youth uh, the youth of this world to understand a, a culture uh, within the LGBTQ community that uh, spans before Drag Race, where a lot of kids, you know, grew up in a world where they saw the White House lit up in rainbow colors when um, President Obama was in office and, in, and they had marriage equality. And so now when these things are under attack, for a lot of people, they don't understand how long the fight uh, went on. And to be honest, growing up, I would have felt so empowered uh, knowing that there was this Latinx queer drag entertainer who was uh, navigating their life with a sense of bravery that I could only wish to have an ounce of myself. A hundred percent. So talk more about that, though. Visibility and representation. How important do you think that yeah. is now? I mean, A, I love that yeah. we're bringing history forward because I think a lot of the current generation and mine as well don't know a lot about history of movements, where, especially Where the queer would we movement. have learned? That's right. Like, where would we have learned? And I think, you know, if you were lucky enough to go to a college or have additional schooling, then maybe that would have been, or if you you know, an avid reader, you can certainly pick up a book and discover our history. But in so many instances, these things have been buried. And I don't like to erase our history because then it uh, helps us repeat some of the same, you know, mistakes that, uh, not even mistakes that we made, but the, but the oppression that was put on us in the same language. It's great to actually witness and relive those moments because for me, I got to chat with, Jose Sadio actually established the Imperial Court, which has over 70 chapters worldwide. It's a large uh, LGBTQ plus fundraising organization. And his legacy is great within that community. He's called, they call him Queen Mother. And, and I got to speak to his successor, who was floored that this story was finally being told. And I, I'm thankful just to have the small part of this because, you know, these HBO Max is brand new. So, you know, we got paid like, you know, uh, a free lunch and uh, some bus fare, but uh, I I'm kidding, but not really. But but it was a passion. Uh, it was a passion project. When we talk about representation, 
and visibility. Oftentimes people say, well, you know, they're making this show or that show, but it's very rare that these storytellers are actually LGBTQ who are behind the scenes and empower positions. And so it's really important, I think, and I love that Equal did that. We have an entire, a very diverse crew. We had LGBTQ plus folks on camera and behind the scenes. Wow. Um, and I think, you know, coming from uh, a place of authenticity is the best way to tell a story. Bam. Beautifully said. And like just from a mental health perspective, so important to see who you are, all your different identities reflected back to. And I think we don't always take that into account. And so I have to imagine a lot of people are going to watch this show equal on HBO Max, see you and and be more aware of just what's possible. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time. I remember years ago when you were, you know, getting your Ph.D., and, and we'd go out somewhere and people would instantly assume, you know, if it was warm out and you're wearing a T-shirt because you have tattoos. Oh, is he a bartender? Is he a personal That's trainer? Right. And it was because they hadn't seen someone that looked like you reflected right. in the work that you do. And um, I think sometimes when you can see when you can see it, you believe you can be it. Um, and so I'm I'm just in great company, too, as some of the, you know, uh, with Samira Wiley, uh, Cheyenne Jackson, Billy Porter is the narrator. Um, there's just a bunch of great, talented folks um, who are, I think, like me, just kind of humbled. Like when you're in it and you're shooting, you're like, oh, that's cool. You leave. And then you see it beautifully edited. And by the way, Chris, you'll get it. Dr. Chris, you'll get a, um, a kick out of this. It's really hard to find footage of LGBTQ plus spaces from 1960 because it was illegal. So yeah. People were scared, right? <laughs> people hid. So, so, so do you want to take a guess as to where we found the interstitial footage of like, you know, gay men holding hands, walking into a bar, walking down a street or into a forest? Where? In pornography. Oh, yeah. We use the non-sexual oh. parts of the pornography Ain't because in something. those films, they did document nightlife, wow. the community, what it looked like. Porn I mean, saving honestly, us yet when, again. <laughs> I know. And so it, it was actually really funny uh, because when I found that out, I found that out in a, like a group Zoom interview and the director <laughs> shared. It was really hard to acquire this footage, but so much of it we pieced together. And I think when you when you are in it, it gives you a sense of pride for the ancestors who came before us, who we will likely never meet. Some of us, some of them are no longer with us, but at least it just fire. It just, it just increases the fire that we should all have under our butt for um, making sure that we are advocating for justice for all people and equality for all people and what that actually looks like. Bam. Well said, Jerry Rodriguez and the show equal is on HBO max. Thank you so much for being a part yeah. of our show. Thank you. And Dr. Chris, if anyone wants to find out anything that's going on in my life, all you have to do is follow me on social media. It's J-A-I Rodriguez with a G and a Z. All right. Blue check mark. Have a great night. <laughs> you too. Bye. Thank you. You can catch more of Dr. Milo Dodson and Jay Rodriguez on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Radio.com. All right, we're back. And, uh... Let's talk about that pesky concept of multitasking. Uh, this comes up a lot recently, and that's why I'm kind of tapping into it every now and then. It gets brought up frequently where people really think that that should be an expectation on someone. You know, they employers will say that, oh, we're looking for someone who can handle multiple things at one time. And I watch family members and loved ones trying to both, you know, attend to maybe a child and also a conversation or they're cooking dinner and they're listening. And I shared this before, but more and more we now know research shows that you cannot 
multitask. You cannot fully focus on two things at once. It's not possible. And we all know that. If you've been trying to have a conversation with someone while they're doing something else, you can see them responding to the thing they're doing. Like, oh man, I can't believe I just spilled that. And you're like, okay, well, you're not able to focus on what you're doing and now you're feeling the spill while also holding space for what I'm saying. Our our brains don't work that way, right? So even though society historically has really built in this idea that it's a, a, a more productive way, we know, again, multitasking is bad for productivity. It's bad, actually. It's horrible. Find people that don't multitask. In fact, request it. Say, hi, you know, we're looking for people that will focus and complete one thing at a time. Uh, because it's also bad for your mental health. And again, mental health has to matter more than uh, job requirements. It has to. And I'm really, really trying to advocate for employers to understand that, for teachers to understand that, that our mental health has to come first. It's There's no worth in running people into the ground um, in service of whatever outcome output they can do, right? So again, that's the gold standard has to change. It's just a myth. Um, and neurology proves that all the time. So even though we put a lot of attention into that, um, the, the studies show that less than 2% maybe have the ability to juggle two tasks or more at once without a drop in performance. So it's really, really that very much an outlier, someone who can truly have uh, directed attention on two different objects at one time. Um, because again, remember, like when we're multitasking, what we're really talking about is the ability to switch between two tasks at once. And we can't do two things at the same time, as I said. And so even though we'll have this you know, enhanced sense of uh, super productivity or, <clears throat> excuse me, this enhanced sense of, wow, I'm getting a lot done, what we're actually, actually truly doing is we're preventing ourselves from focusing on any one of them deeply. And actually what you're doing when you're multitasking is really we're keeping ourselves distracted. So when someone says, oh, I'm I'm multitasking, it's no, you're actually super distracted because the transition back and forth becomes a distraction. One distracts from the other and then the other distracts from the other. We're never ever really present with either, right? So when you're trying to multitask, again, we need to move back to focus and that's one thing at a time. Um, So, you know, we have to reorient our, our, our thinking around that. And it comes up with couples where, uh, and we've talked about this before, where I'll say, you know, listen, feel, feel free to request from a partner, hey, if we're in the middle of a conversation, you say present to that. And if your phone rings, you let it ring. Because very rarely do are we on call waiting for an emergency to come in. And that phone call or that text message usually can wait the five more minutes for this conversation to complete or even an hour. But yet we'll grab at it. And what we're saying is this is more important. And we don't want to do that to our partners, or our family members. Interrupt them being present with us, sharing their day, trying to connect, build intimacy by saying, oh, this, this email, the email who I don't even know who it's from because all I heard was a ding, that means more to me. The possibility of who that might be means more to me. It's a horrible message. So I always advocate for one thing at a time. And I've said this before, if a human being is talking to me and they try to do something else, you will hear me say, I'll wait. I will not keep talking while someone's doing something else. I won't. And that's frustrating for people because A, they're not used to people setting boundaries. B, they're not used to someone acting from their self-esteem, but also because we're used to people just falling in line and allowing it. I also said that to people's own mental health where I'll say, if you're watching a movie, watch the movie. And if you need to be on your phone, pause the movie and look at your phone. And when you're done with your phone time, put it down and play the movie again. We have to really start to practice one thing at a time. But again, more importantly, you know, Intimacy is built with time together and eye contact, and and we should expect and demand that, especially when we're with our loved ones, right? Where where we should be the priority, um, everything else should be secondary. And I've said this; I, it was really hard work for me, where I'll often be done with my phone for the night, where at seven or eight o'clock at night I put my phone away and I'm done for the night. 
And if there's someone I want to communicate with, I reach out to them, you know, but there's a certain time where I got, I go offline. I'm not reachable anymore, you know? And, and that's because I have the kind of career where there isn't emergencies. I'm not an ER doctor on call. And most of us also are not. And so for most of us, it is very reasonable at a certain time at night to go unavailable. Remember, there was a time when if someone wanted to reach you, they had to call, the, call you on your landline. And often that was off the hook because it was dinner time or someone else was on it. But yeah, remember back in the day during dinner time, we took the phone off the hook. I remember my mom took it off the hook for the rest of the night. We just weren't reachable. But now that we have email and text messaging, people have no problem interjecting themselves at any time. But we have a right to set a boundary and push back on that for both our mental health, but also for the sake of our relationships and other priorities. And multitasking also exhausts us. That's why people feel so tired after trying to do a lot. You know, because if you want to get truly neurological, it actually uses up oxygen, oxygenated glucose in the brain, and we need that to focus. So it gets depleted. It gets burnt out and exhausted. So we, it's not even a matter of ability as much as we are not wired to be able to, and we can't necessarily be bigger or better than our actual evolution and anatomical capacities, you know? So again, let me throw a stat at you. Research has shown that the kind of switch tasking, right, which is what we're doing, can lead to at least 40 to 60% of decrease in productivity because that transition time back and forth, actually you lose focus, you know? And we all know that. You know, when you really zero in on something, it, it goes far better and far more is accomplished. So anyway, examine areas of your life where you're trying to multitask and where you shouldn't. Examine areas of your life when you're prioritizing, you know, this potential text message coming in from you don't even know who. Anywho, coming up next question of the night. So still some time to weigh in on that. That is on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time for question of the night. All right, question of the night always comes from our Loveline IG page in the stories, so y'all need to weigh in on that. Some of y'all just creepers. You just listen. Take, 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 take. But you got to join in. We're all being authentic and vulnerable. Get in on there. Get your voice heard. Uh, okay, according to CNN, decent network, more than 28% of Americans say they will spend less on holiday gifts this year compared to last. Good. Money's tight. We've been in a pandemic. You know what I mean? Give give one gift to one person. You don't have to give one to everyone, you know, or everyone only gets one. Or just say, hey, tough year. You know, check you next time. It's it, the Holidays are different this year. They get to be different any year. But there can't be an expectation that it has to be the way it always is. And with gift giving, look, I know that people love getting gifts, but people are in different financial positions. Some people are unemployed. Some people are afraid of being unemployed. And, you know, we don't want people to get into debt over a wedding gift or a vacation or an engagement ring or a birthday present or Christmas present. Like that's materialism and consumerism. We want to be better than that. You know, if someone cares about you, let that knowledge of care be enough, you know, but if you can't afford a gift, make them something, send them a really sweet text or message. Um, good people will accept that. If someone demands an object, they're being really materialistic and that's gross and kind of classist, assuming that just because they can afford things, you should too. And I see so much classism in that on someone's birthday or with wedding rings, these expectations of your love being shown with how much you spend or the size of an object, that's gross. Come on. It's about love and care and commitment and it should be enough, right? Write them all like a nice little note. <laughs> okay, so 28 Americans said they will spend less this year. Yeah, 30%. Only 12 say they will probably spend more than last year. Well, God bless that 12. Uh, one in three households. Here we go. This is my whole point. One in three. That's a lot. 
One in three say their finances are worse than last year. Great. Spend no more money unless it's things you need to spend it on, right? Like you don't have to be giving gifts this year. As a result, 38% of consumers say they plan to spend less on Thanksgiving and on the holidays than 2019, a number that has not been since the Great Recession. Cool, I get it. Be where you are, and you shouldn't have to explain that. I want everyone to know that. There's so many financial expectations we put on people, but even with like, um, what do you call it, the secret Santa stuff, you know what I mean? Like, Don't ask people to participate in stuff like that this year. People don't have the money, and not everyone has the confidence to say to a boss or a loved one, I don't have the money to participate, so please don't make people have to get put in that position. It's heart-wrenching. I have clients in my practice saying, how do I let so-and-so know that I can't be a part of something? They shouldn't have to. Um, so the question of the night is, are you feeling more stressed about these holidays than before? And if so, what are your reasons? I mean, my God, <laughs> pick one of the 15, you know, uh, bless. Okay. First person said, um, oh, sorry. We're looking at stats. 61% of our listeners, that's a chunk. 61% of our listeners said traveling to see loved ones are stressing them out because of the coronavirus. Yeah, you shouldn't be traveling. Save your mental health and your money and stay home. Get on FaceTime and wave and join them that way. But again, please let go of some of the expectations of everyone doing what they've always done. I'm not flying home because it's not safe. I'm looking out for myself and my family, you know? And so it has to be understandable that things are different this year. You guys are killing me. 15% said getting gifts for people stressing them out the most. Then don't. And that's okay if you don't. You tell them Dr. Chris said it's okay. 12% said they're most worried about the aftermath of the election. Only 12? <laughs> I know a lot of people, a lot of people in my practices. Trans clients are worried about having access to needed health care. Gay clients are worried about the right to marriage and so are rushing it. Possibly some of them were not ready. Um, some of my... Um, uh, clients that are able to carry a child, uh, they are worried about losing the right and ability to get a safe legal abortion because abortion is mental health care. Abortion is also health care. And people are worried. We're also worried about the bigot fascists getting, you know, re reelected, right? That was a thing that people were horrified about. <laughs> you know, that's been a fear for a while. 10% uh, of people said they haven't made any decisions about the holidays yet. Yeah. Tough time. So again, things are just different. Like Halloween. Halloween went great. A lot of people trick-or-treated from a distance or they just dressed up at their own home and played music and still decorated. Like there's so many things we can do. And that's what's going to be for uh, the winter holidays. You know, they're not, they're not canceled, just different. Got to get creative, you know, but put on those movies, put on that music, decorate. I kept saying that, keep decorating, you know, it can really bring it inside and it can still feel, can still feel like you're, you're participating. You can also take drives. People are still decorating outside their homes, you know, for all the different holidays and it's quite beautiful. Um, and if you live in an area that you have access and a lot of areas do, there's a lot of suburban areas here in LA where they have different drive-through events. Uh, they'll definitely be doing that for the Christmas season and things like that. So, you know, again, still much to come. All right, y'all coming up next is, uh, the DMS, but question of the night is back up on our love on IG page in the story. So wait on that. We'll be back in two minutes, two minute promise. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Whitney. And I've been going through something kind of weird. It's kind of complicated. 
my best friend's boyfriend's mom, wait, hold on, I gotta go slow. My best friend's boyfriend's mom just got married to a guy named Nate. Okay, we are all super close. So I'm over at their house at least twice a week. The mom has known Nate for about a year and a half, but at the beginning of quarantine, they decided to get married. Okay, <laughs> interesting thing to choose to do right now, but you know, y'all do you. Uh, I, oh, here we go. I get such creepy vibes from Nate. <laughs> I told my best friend and his boyfriend what I thought, and they kind of got mad at me for saying something, so I never brought it up again. Then, <laughs> big finale, last week, not on purpose. Oh no, oh no, Nate's phone was out, and I saw him texting a girl named Christy. Christy is not the mom's name. <laughs> Should I bring it up? No, mind your business. Look, Christy could be anybody. Nate is allowed to have female friends. He's allowed to text people, you know? Um, I don't, <laughs> so what would you be telling uh, your best friend's mom? I saw your husband texting a human being who happened to be the female gender. Okay, that's cool. Uh, no, mind your business. <laughs> Look, that, there's, not, there's no red flag there at all. You saw nothing. And you already think he's creepy. So I feel like you're possibly projecting or looking for something. So lean back out of that, mind your business, and um, let them live their lives. That's like the theme of a lot of these DMs. Let people live their lives. I appreciate your care. appreciate your interest in looking out for this person, but let them live their life. All right, we got another DM. Hey, Dr. Chris. I was wondering what you thought about acts of service as a love language. I'm asking because I just had, uh, because I had just started dating this guy and I told him about the whole concept of love languages, which I think you should. I really appreciate what, what the love languages generally communicate, not hard lined, but generally, uh, he was down, but then the conversation took a turn when I got to the services part, he got immature and said acts of service meant, meant like sex. Well, it can, it can for some people. So that was definitely his love language. Well, that's mine too. Uh, we've stopped, we've since stopped talking, but I can't help but wonder if everyone has a different idea of these love languages, what they really mean. Oh yeah, they sure do. Yeah. Because remember acts of service mean your love language, which means you feel most loved when someone does something for you. Some people are one thing and other people that is felt a different way. So for some people it's the erotic. Absolutely. I am. I feel most loved when someone's flirting with me, sexting me and, um, trying to engage me on that level. Absolutely. I I'd rather them do something sexual with me as an act of service, then, you know, take my garbage out of as an act of service or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So yes, love languages mean different things for different people. There's way more than the five that they talk about. Those five sometimes blend and, and two of them collapse into one. Some people, all the languages are theirs. It's a metaphor. It's like a loose structure. It's a starting point. You, you know, don't take the love languages seriously. It's a, it's a conversation starter to better understand how someone feels loved. And for some people, it's all things. They're that easy and that's beautiful. For others, it's it's more specific, but we should all be expanding outside of whatever we just think it is. You know, try to see love in any way you can. But um, yeah, for some people, it's very erotic and they don't really talk much about that in the love languages. Um, they should, but sex is always left out. So God bless it. All right, y'all. Hope you're checking out my live stream show. I'm listening live. That's uh, every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles. That is YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So check that out. Always celebrities and experts talking about mental health, COVID, self-care, how it all intersects. And uh, uh, what is it? Loveline. Podcast it over at We Are Channel Q. So you can go binge, post, and share. And uh, you guys enjoy the weekend. You know, remember the trifecta. Lots and lots and lots of self-care every day.
every day. Joy, pleasure, and rest. Just rest. Turn your phone off for a day or at least a few hours. Put it in a drawer. Just rest. You know, lay around. Eat all the junk food you want. Just ground yourselves. Feel good. Pleasure, pleasure, joy, joy. Um, all right, y'all. So I'll see you on Monday night as always. Oh, y'all have a great night. And as always, thanks for hanging out.